Peace, beautiful ones. Welcome to the Tribe of Sons podcast. I'm your host, Kaya. Join me and my special guests each episode as we share relatable news and engage in honest conversations surrounding the personal birth, motherhood, and birth work stories of Black women. The narrative that has been created for us is ours to change together. October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. In today's episode of the Tribal Sense Podcast, full-spectrum doula Maurice admits that sharing her story is healing for her. In her episode, she shares her four pregnancy journeys, three of which ended prematurely as a result of miscarriage. Her pregnancies would teach her the importance of advocacy, being patient and open to transformative experiences, and the absolute necessity of a community that supports birthing women. You'll hear why this mama is the epitome of resilience and love in my book. Let's get into her story. Life doesn't exist without death, and life is more precious because of death. So, you know, yes, it's hard, um, and it's painful when you lose someone or something, um, but yeah, there's, there is real beauty in that. There is real beauty. Today's guest is a former fashion designer turned full-spectrum doula, the wife and mother of three angel babies, and one precious daughter named Memphis wants to share her story because, as she says, our sisters suffer in silence too often. And that is a reoccurring theme that I hear from our sisters, so we're going to explore that and see how we can fix it. Her goal is to be able to give other moms hope and, at the very least, some comfort we connected online and her vibe just radiated like sisterly goodness. I was just like, <laughs> I like her. <laughs> and it's, it makes you remember that like your people aren't always going to be in the same proximity as you. So I'm honored and I'm pleased so to introduce Maurice to the show. Welcome, sis. Glad to have you. Thank you, Kaya. Thank you for having me. Of course. I appreciate you, you know, being willing to share your story and wanting to help moms um, who may experience the same thing. I, I'm greatly appreciative of that. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, it's it's actually healing for me as well. So mm-hmm. um, I think talking about it is always something that kind of, you know, just eases that scar just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself or tell my audience a little bit about yourself and your family? Uh, sure. So, um, as you said, I'm a former fashion designer. I guess I'm still a designer. Um, okay. I came from uh, the visual arts and designed. Uh, I actually went to school for fashion design. Um, I went to the Pratt Institute in New York. Okay. Um, I'm originally from Philly, uh, the daughter of Haitian immigrants. Um. Yeah, and now I'm actually living in New Jersey. Um, I have a dear husband um, who's also from Philly. Philly. He's a West Philadelphian like myself, and mm-hmm. um, I have a little baby girl. And her and I love her name. I and I love the way you spelt it. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was like a whole process of naming her. Um, but my husband had like certain, you know, uh, rules for naming her. Mm-hmm. So he's like, it has to be, you know, um, 
there's got to be some kind of like black cultural reference in there. And mm-hmm. my thing was I wanted a um, a gender ambiguous name. And, okay. um, you know, somehow we both heard the name Memphis or heard the word Memphis one day and it just kind of clicked. I was just like, you know, I-, I love that. I love the way that sounds. So mm-hmm. um, we did a little research and found out that there was um, a city in Egypt by the name Memphis. And, um, you know, my husband was saying something about um, comedic language and Mm -hmm. how we should actually spell it with a Y because that's more true to comedic language. So yeah, that's kind of how we got there. (laughs) I love that. And now that I have, now that I know the, you know, the reasoning and the meaning behind it, it's just even more dope. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So can you tell me about your first pregnancy, you know, finding out you were pregnant, were you, expe- you know, were you expecting or planning to, um, to have a baby? Can you tell us about that time? Yeah. Um, so I actually was, um, in kind of a strange place at the time. Um, I, I had been living in Philly for about a year. I left New York and then went back to Philly for about a year and decided to start working in New York again while I was living in Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing this crazy commute um, every week where I would stay with my cousin in Brooklyn for a few days and then work in Manhattan and then um, come back to Philly on the weekends to be with my, at the time he was just my boyfriend, but mm-hmm. um, he's currently my husband. Um, so yeah, needless to say, I was not at- attempting to get pregnant. Um I was totally shocked <laughs> okay. by the news. Um, I had, I was actually 30 years old, so I wasn't super young or anything, but um, yeah, it just wasn't something that was in my purview at the time. <laughs> but okay. um, once I had gotten over the initial shock, um, you know, I was so excited. I don't think I had ever experienced that kind of excitement and happiness before. Uh, and and first time pregnancies do that to you for sure. Yeah. And and so going into the pregnancy, like how were you feeling? Like were you experiencing any, you know, morning sickness or anything like that? Yes, I had the worst morning sickness. Um I mean, I could still function, but mm-hmm. it was wretched, and that's actually how I found out that I was pregnant because I I started feeling sick and did not understand it. It was just like, why do I feel so nauseous? Like, what did I eat? At first I thought maybe it was some kind of food poisoning, but Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't really have the typical signs of food poisoning, but I just couldn't pinpoint it. And then something just told me like, maybe you should just try to take a pregnancy test. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) It's a possibility. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, it's funny because I I actually listened to which I loved your um you you and your husband talking about um telling your birth stories and mm-hmm. it was so funny when you made the comment about the dollar store um, pregnancy test <laughs> <laughs> everyone that I know who gets pregnant does that same goes through that same process of getting mm-hmm. the dollar store test. It turns out that they're pregnant. They don't believe it. And then they go and buy like a $30 test or whatever. Right. <laughs> After taking like $4 store test. And 
yeah it's like no you're pregnant exactly <laughs> and you knew you were pregnant after the first one <laughs> yes exactly exactly so that was my exact experience I took that those dollar sir tests um and they were all coming up positive and I just was like no really no <laughs> Like, this has to be wrong. It was only a dollar. Right, right. <laughs> like, all of the, all these other people can't be right. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, yeah. And so did that, did that pass after, you know, a certain period of time? Or was it, you know, the entire no, time? No, it was actually the entire time. And it actually extended um, past my pregnancy. So... Um, I found out I was pregnant. I think I was about six and a half weeks. I had mm-hmm. gone to, um, a gynecologist, um, who I had just started seeing and, um, she confirmed the pregnancy. Um, and she also had an ultrasound in the office. So I was able to see a heartbeat and everything, mm-hmm. um, around like seven weeks, like six and a half to seven weeks. Um, and I did experience spotting. But, um, and I was concerned about it because to be honest, I knew very little about pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess, you know, it just wasn't something, having children was, is very common. Um, it was very common in my family, but talking about it, I guess, like the, 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 the actual physiological process of it mm-hmm. wasn't something that was talked about very much. Um, and my mother had had three children, myself and my two brothers, and mm-hmm. had no complications whatsoever. She was also younger. Um, but still, it just it never crossed my mind that that miscarriage was something that um, really needed to be discussed, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so when I started experiencing the spotting, which was shortly after I found out that I was pregnant. Um, I don't know. I guess I just innately was, of course, concerned. And I raised concerns with the gynecologist I was seeing at the time. And she kind of was really dismissive about it. Um, And again, never, she never once mentioned even the possibility of miscarriage. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so did she just, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so did she just say like, this is normal? Did like, how, how did she, yeah. did she attribute the spotting too? She, so I had an exam when I mentioned that, um, you know, I noticed some spotting and you know, that I was wondering what, what it came from because if anything, I'm always inquisitive, you know, right. I always want to know, well, there's gotta be some way to explain this, you know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. at least like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, of course, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a faithful person. I believe in, you know, things that can't be explained, but, mm-hmm. um, I think that there are a lot of things to support things that are more divine and can't be explained. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I was looking for just something, <laughs> something. And, and I was looking for it from this doctor who, you know, I believe, studies this these these things you know right. she's a scientist so right. um yeah she did an exam and told me that um she thinks she saw a cervical polyp so that potentially 
could be where the bleeding was from. Um, and then that was kind of it. She kind of just sent me on my way and, you know, she really didn't say much about what I should do if things had gotten worse or anything. It was kind of just like, ah, you know, it looks fine. It's just a little bit of bleeding. Like it could be this. And that was it. Which is sad and unfortunate because it's such a, it's yet another ongoing thing that we continue to hear in that, um, our concerns and things that we notice with our bodies aren't taken seriously by people who are supposed to be helping us to get through this time. Well, that's, that's what they tell us. That's what their job is. But you know, so many times they've proven otherwise in situations like this. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think part of the issue is that they really don't know a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I think that there are so, there's such a lack of understanding around, um, you know, f- female reproduction and in our bodies and our organs and how they work um, because it is pretty complex. And right. I think there isn't enough attention paid to those complexities. Um, I think doctors are, I guess they want to, they tend to err on the side of routine and training. Yes. Um, And, and I, I almost feel as if they, if they don't understand it, then there's like a complex that they have about not being able to explain something. So they'd rather just not go into it. (laughs) Yes. They'd rather be ambiguous about whether or not they know the answer. Right. Exactly. It's just, it's so much simpler to say, I don't know. I'll get back to you. Maybe not in those words. Cause I don't know if you want to hear, I don't know from your doctor, right. <laughs> but, but something else that says like, I'm in this with you. We're going to find out what the cause of this is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and so what, at what period did you realize that you were miscarrying? Um, so the week, uh, I, I, I got into my 11th week of pregnancy and um I started feeling cramps like Mm -hmm. you know as if I was having a period um they were light um throughout my uh I guess you would say like my my reproductive history I Mm -hmm. haven't really had I may have had a short period of time where I had severe periods but that was kind of early on and then after that they were really never that bad so um as far as like my menstrual pain so um I didn't think too much of it when I felt Mm -hmm. this like cramping I thought that this was normal um of course I scoured you know Dr. Google and yes Dr. Google told me that you know cramping could be due to just the growth in your uterus you know Mm -hmm. so um so yeah, I started cramping that week and um again I had gone to the doctor because <laughs> I was still concerned yeah, and right. um she again was kind of just like, well, you know, um we saw a heartbeat and things seemed okay, so you know, it's probably fine. You know, let's just set you up for um the first round of screening that they do. Mm-hmm. the trisomy exams. So, um, so that was that. Um, but sure enough, the cramping and spotting had just gotten worse. And by the end of that week, um, I was basically in full blown labor 
Um, and, and I know that probably would be shocking to, for a lot of people to hear at 11 weeks pregnant, you, you don't think about the possibility that your body could even be gone into labor because, you know, the baby's not, you're not even out of your first trimester yet. Right. But, um, that's the, that's the thing that, you know, a lot of people don't talk about, you know, that's the, the quiet part of miscarriage that, um, you know, no one really wants to talk about because it's, it's scary. And, um, you know, I think we're still struggling with determining when, when a life is a life and, you know, when, um, you know, when, when women actually give birth. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it definitely will be, um, a case by case basis, depending on, you know, perspective for, for many people. Mm -hmm. But I think, for me, I could imagine feeling like this loss would feel just like if I lost one of my children that I have now, you know, like right. even, even before you get to hold them, like you feel this like deep sense of love, um, that's pretty unexplainable. And so, um, yeah, I can't, I can't say for, for someone else what that will feel like, but I think that loss would be, um, you know, something that would take a lot of healing to get, to get through. And so I wanted to ask you, um, what what did support look like for you during that time when you experienced your first miscarriage? Like what could it, what, you know, what do people do well and what could they have done better? Mm, so that first miscarriage um, was hard because I, I hadn't really told a lot of people um, that I was pregnant. I mean, I okay. don't, I, I don't have a whole lot of, friends. Um, mm -hmm. I know a lot of people, but you know, I kind of have like a pretty tight knit circle of friends. So mm -hmm. I kind of just started sharing the news, um, maybe like a couple weeks prior to that. And, um, you know, as far as that goes with my friends and, and very close family, um, they were really great, you know, like just acknowledgement, um, mm -hmm acknowledging that this was a major loss for me. Um, it was also very traumatizing to go through that physically um, yes. and physically painful and, you know, just like kind of being in the throes of something happening that I couldn't control and kind of just having to surrender to it. Yeah. Um, that was tough, but, you know, I had, I had really and have really great friends and family that, that were just present with me through that process. And that's awesome. I'm really glad to hear that because that is not always something that um, moms get to say has been their experience when they experience loss. And I think as a community, and I can, you know, I'm, I'm focused on our community, the black community. I do believe that we need to talk about it more because we need to know how to be supportive because a lot of the times I don't think that it's people, I don't, for some, I don't think that it's, they don't want to be supportive. I think some people feel like in conversations with other people, they feel like, um, you know, well, I don't want to bring it up. Um, I don't know if they want to talk about it. So um, if I could ask you like, what in your experience did you want people to to check on you and say like how are you doing how was that experience for you yes i think um 
when you're in the midst of, you know, the period that I like to call kind of like the raw period, mm-hmm. um, which is when you're still trying to process the fact that this is real. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a tough time because, you know, and that's usually the time that you kind of get the most outpouring of, of, um, attention. Yes. Um, but that's almost the time when like, it's really hard to receive it because you're still trying to understand whether Mm -hmm. or not, you know, you're, you're still wrapping your mind around the reality of, of what just happened. Um, and that is, um, that's tough. You know what I mean? Like I, of course, wanted people to reach out then, but I think I wanted people to continue to reach out mm-hmm. as, you know, the weeks and the months ahead got even harder. Um, because then it's kind of like everyone else goes back to, to life for them. Right. <laughs> right. And your life is forever changed now. You know what I mean? You now like have this trauma that lives inside of you and is triggered by so many different things. And when everyone else goes back to, you know, their regularly scheduled programming, um, it's almost like when you have these moments of like, Hey, I can't come to this event because, you know, I I can't go to that baby shower because, you know, I can't be around other babies or I can't be in a position where I'm celebrating someone else's birth. Not that I'm not happy for them, but Mm -hmm. I am so sad for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, it's really hard to kind of, um, to kind of integrate yourself back into, you know, the way that your life was um, prior to having this kind of loss. And what is, um, what is the healing process like after a miscarriage? Like what do like, what does your body experience and what do you go through? Boy. So, um, there are different things. It, it depends on the person. It depends on, yeah. um, how, how the loss actually took place. Um, and, you know, at what point in pregnancy you actually had the loss. So mm-hmm. um, this one was, you know, in an earlier loss. Um, and I had a natural miscarriage. So my body um, actually, you know, went through the, the process of the same as, it, as if it would with giving birth. You know, mm-hmm. I had contractions. I... Um, you know, I dilated, um, and then eventually, you know, I, my passed on my angel baby. Um, Mm -hmm. I've also had a loss (laughs) much later. Um, I've had two losses much later in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, so in those instances, I had to, you know, I I chose, I, I didn't have to, but I chose to go to the hospital and, be induced and, Mm -hmm. um, still give birth. Um, but you know, in slightly different ways. Okay. Thank you for that, for that understanding. Um, because it's for me, I just, I really want, um, for people who've never, you know, endured, um, a loss like this to kind of have a better understanding of what our sisters go through when they do Mm -hmm. experience this loss. Cause I, I know that it can help us 
to better support each other through these times. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so um, after that, that first pregnancy, um, I'm sure it takes you some time, but you get back to living, you know, um, living your life. Um, what, what was the experience from the first pregnancy to the second pregnancy? Like when you found out, what was that like? Yeah. So, um, after my first loss, um, I had only taken like a week off of work, which in hindsight, I feel like was a mistake. Um, but I did it because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And that's what I had to do. Um, so kind of in the midst of that, I actually ended up getting engaged maybe like a month later. Um, so, so that was really exciting. Um, and also kind of helped me take my mind off of things, which Mm -hmm. again, I don't, I'm, I'm definitely not advocating for doing things to distract yourself. Um, but you know, I was in the process of then planning a wedding. So, um, my husband and I were doing that for the, the, really the, the rest of the year. Um, Mm -hmm. so the following year I found out I was pregnant again, um, maybe like a couple weeks before our wedding. Um, so that was interesting. I, again, was shocked. I was not planning it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and you know, it was scary. Um, it was definitely scary, but of course I was excited again. And I had just thought, you know, after I had that miscarriage, of course, then you find out all these things about miscarriage and how common it is. And, you know, so I thought, you know, second pregnancy, um, I'm able to get pregnant. Um, so in the back of my mind, I just kept telling myself like, this is going to be okay. I'm, I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that positive self-talk is good. Like just to keep you, keep yourself from, you know, stressing all the way out and think of, thinking of all the possibilities of what may happen. Um, and so after, after finding out were were your symptoms pretty much the same as they were the first time? Yep. Just, just, just nauseous all the time. Oh yes. (laughs) Terrible morning sickness. I was sick at the wedding. Um, Oh no. Yeah. So now I tell my husband now, like we have to have a do over because, (laughs) (laughs) because I was nauseous the whole time and I couldn't enjoy the food and there was, Mm -hmm. there was so much, um, but I held it together. But, um, yeah, I was definitely still had still had the morning sickness. Um, and again, I had spotting, which was tr- beyond triggering, but mm-hmm. traumatizing again, um, because I just kept saying, like, kept trying to stay positive, but then kept thinking, like, it's going to happen again, um, mm-hmm. which it. It, I did end up losing that child, um, but it didn't happen in the way that I had thought it would. Um, I, of course, followed up with a doctor and... Um, a different again, doctor? Yes. So at okay. this time, I decided that um, 
I was going to pursue this pregnancy and, you know, plan birth in Mm -hmm. the way that I had envisioned, which was very natural. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I played around with the idea of water birth, um, but because I had the spotting early, I I knew that, you know, let me at least see a doctor um, and hopefully maybe that doctor can refer me to midwives. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to find a doctor who actually worked with midwives. So um, that's actually who I picked as my uh, as my gynecologist and the idea was that I could give birth in, um, there's a hospital in New York called Mount Sinai and mm-hmm. their Western, um, their Western location has a birthing center that's attached to the hospital. So, so that was my goal. You know, I was just like, that's what I want to do. I want to, you know, give birth in the birthing center and, you know, be delivered. Um, you know, my delivery attended by midwives and, you know, I was, all the way there with that, (laughs) with that plan. Um, but yeah, I had the spotting again. Um, and the, the appointment where I had the spotting checked was by a midwife. She of course checked everything else and said, everything's looking good. Um, and during the appointment, she had mentioned something called a subchorionic hematoma. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, of course, had no idea what that was. Um, and she told me that she wanted to talk to the OB about um, about this. And she was going to come back to me. But um, she did talk to the OB, but she never came back to me, you know, explaining things or, or giving me any kind of um, information about where the spotting was coming from. Follow up. Um, yeah, there was there was no follow up. It was kind of just like, okay, everything's good. Um, you know, we'll see you at your next your next appointment. Um, now this was a midwife, right? <laughs> um, so long story short, I did have the subchorionic hematoma, but um, that I found out after having a gush of blood. Um, when I was about 12 weeks pregnant and I rushed to the ER um, and they had confirmed it at the ER, um, a local ER. So mm-hmm. um, after that, you know, I of course followed up with my doctor and had like the early testing done um, for genetic disorders and everything came back fine. Okay. Um, eventually the, the bleeding had stopped um, which I was told by the doctor in, in the ER that it would. Um, and I thought I was in the clear. I thought things were good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, I just continued on with my pregnancy and I got to 19 weeks. Um, again, like I said, like I had been feeling great and had no issues, no issues at all. Um, and you know, when you're under the care of a midwife, um, you know, the care is a lot less, there's a lot less intervention involved. Right. So when I'd go to my appointments, um, you know, she would, the the midwife that I was seeing would just use a Doppler, just check the heartbeat and heartbeat was always strong. Never had any issues there. Um, yeah. So I thought things were okay. Mm -hmm. Um, 
got to 19 weeks and one day I just felt, um, just like kind of like a throbbing, a throbbing that almost, you know, for lack of a better way of expressing it, it felt like gas. Okay. (laughs) I felt like I had gas and, um, but it was kind of just coming in waves. So a friend of mine, very, very close friend of mine at the time was pregnant as well. She was a little further along than I was. Um, Mm -hmm. So I asked her about, you know, certain feelings and sensations during pregnancy. And I was feeling this. And did she think that this was normal? Um, And her response to me was like, oh, yeah, that's normal. Like, that's something that you're going to feel all kinds of things throughout pregnancy, which she's right. You do. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So, yeah, so, of course, I kept trying to, you know, just swallow down that, like, little niggly thing that was happening in my in my gut, just telling me, like, maybe there's something else going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like, the throbbing pain, um, it wasn't even pain, I would say, but it was, it was definitely discomfort. But that throbbing just seemed to get worse um, throughout, a, like, pretty much throughout a day. Um, so yeah, later that evening, um, I went to the bathroom and then there was just blood. So of course, you know, I freaked my husband out and I'm like, Hey, we have to go to the hospital. Um, so we did, we went to the ER, which was a disaster. (laughs) Um, how so we got to the ER and I mean, I guess I'll just say this. Pregnant women do not belong in an ER. Right. I 100% agree. There just is no place for us there. I mean, I I don't, I believe the doctors in the ER, obviously, I think that they have everyone's best interests at heart. But that environment is just really not set up for, um, for a lot of people who need a certain type of care um, in emergency situations and pregnant women, I think being one of those groups. Mm -hmm. Um, So I get to the ER, of course they triage me and, you know, take my vitals and everything. But as time went on, the bleeding just got worse. Um, The ER was packed that night. So I didn't see an actual OB for hours, hours. Um, They did send me up to get an ultrasound and probably another two hours had gone by by the time I had learned about what the results were from the ultrasound. Mm -hmm. Um, The doctor who was attending um, the ER that night came in and I could just tell from the look on his face that he, for one, had no idea what to say to me. Right. Um, and, you know, didn't really understand what was happening, but he just told me that, you know, it looks like your cervix is opening. Um, and, you know, that's really not something we'd want to see at this point in your pregnancy. Um, so he went and got a doctor from the L and D department mm-hmm. and, um, she came down she was um black woman so i thought maybe i was in good hands um <laughs> um but that turned out to be 
even worse, a much worse encounter, a very traumatizing encounter, actually. Um, she told me that it looked like I had an incompetent cervix. Oh, <laughs> and um, there was nothing she could do at this point. I'm only 19 weeks pregnant and my cervix had already started opening and, um, you know, there was nothing they could do to save the baby. The bedside manner of some of these hospital folks that you, again, that you think, you know, know what they're supposed to say and how to relay certain information it, again and again, it just proves that they are not being trained properly or they just don't care to yeah. give, to give that kind of empathy that is needed in a time like that. Yeah, totally. I totally. can't stand that you experienced that. Like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the way that that experience was compared to, um, when I, it's, it's the story of course sounds very, very traumatic. Um, I know I've had a very traumatic journey, but the one bright side, um, that I can say after experiencing another loss and a third pregnancy, um, is that I know that there is good care out there. I know that there are compassionate, um, doctors and midwives and, you know, people who get into this because they do it because they want to help people, you know, they want to make an impact on how someone is experiencing, experiencing these really hard things in life. And, um, that is the one, the one bright spot I, I would say, um, through all of this, all of these experiences, but, but yes, the second loss, um, the way that I was treated, um, was just, man, no one should ever, ever have to experience that, ever have to experience that. Was there, and, and I can imagine that in that time, like this is the last thing you're thinking about, but was there any, um, did you, your husband or you at any point have any, conversations with these people to let them know that the way you treated me or the way you treated my wife was unacceptable or did you um you know report any of the the behavior that you experienced yeah so um so we actually in the moment when when all of this was happening of course this was a shock the only things that I could muster up to to ask or say was are you sure there is nothing you can do? Mm-hmm. I can still feel my baby moving. Um, those were the only words that I could muster up to say to her, to, mm-hmm. to this particular OB. Um, and she insisted that there was nothing. She could do a quick check, but there was really nothing she could do. And of course, she said the dreaded words to me that you should never, ever say to anyone who has lost a child. Um no matter at what point, but don't ever say you can try again. Yes. <laughs> Please don't ever say that. One child does not take the place of another. No, not ever. Never. But she said that to me and my husband, of course, was in complete shock. Um, he didn't know what to do. Um, it's like he's experiencing a loss and then he's watching me, his wife, go through this physically and there's 
it's totally out of his hands. You know, he can't control um, the outcome. So, right. so we were, um, this OB again, instead of uh, transferring us up into L&D, she kept us in ER for the entire night. Um, wow. I was, I had to keep uh, asking for nurses to come in and check on me. Um, because no one, it was almost like we were just forgotten about. We were just in the ER. They had given me, um, a drug to try to induce labor. Um, and yeah, I was kind of just, we were totally left alone. Um, we eventually were transferred up to L and D after I complained and complained. Um, and we did actually share how upset we were um, with the experience mm-hmm. and the interaction that we had with the OB um, with some of the nurses that were in L&D who, who were much better, I have to say. Um, you know, I had one nurse who was really, really great. She had experienced losses herself. Um, so, you know, she had a lot of compassion and empathy for what we were going through. And um, she also knew that this particular OB apparently did have other other people who had complained about her um, in her bedside manner. Um, but <laughs> what's interesting is that, you know, this was a few years ago. And in hindsight, um, it's, it's really complicated because as horrified as I was by this doctor, I also, you know, I also acknowledge her own humanity and I'm not going to name the hospital, but this is not the greatest hospital. Um, okay. She is a black OB and I do understand that she herself is probably up against plenty of obstacles in this hospital. Um, the fact that the nurses were, when, when we had been transferred up into L and D, the nurses seemed to, I don't know. I want to say that it almost seemed like they were inviting negative stories about her. Um, Mm -hmm. and in hindsight, you know, I wonder if that played into how she treated patients, maybe how she was treated at that hospital wasn't so great. (laughs) And sometimes I wonder if that had to do with the fact that she was a black doctor um, in a predominantly white staffed hospital. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, it's crazy. It's like the trauma doesn't stop just with us, you know, providers are also Mm -hmm. traumatized by these things and they don't get to process them. You know, We, we can at least go home and we experience our um, our pain personally, but they also experience, you know, some level of pain from what they're seeing, and they don't get the time to process it. So it's it's compounded in a lot of ways. Yes, but that also speaks to your your goodness and being able to, and you know, in hindsight, see see and and understand and acknowledge that um because my frame of thought as I'm thinking about it and as I'm listening to it you know I feel like you're my sister and I'm like you know (laughs) 
you want you want to bark on anyone who treats like your sister or someone um, close to you badly. But I definitely have have heard the stories, have watched the videos of um, doctors who are in predominantly white spaces who have experienced the prejudice, who have experienced not being listened to, and all right. of that. And so, in my mind, I just think um, for them acknowledge what you feel from that wrongdoing and don't, and don't put that on someone else, especially someone that looks like you, you know? Um, But again, um, yes, she is human and she does experience, you know, probably some of the same things that we endure, but in a different way because she is the, you know, the medical professional. Yeah, definitely. So the, yes, that's big of you to, to acknowledge her humanity in that, in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. Oh, I was pissed. <laughs> oh, I know you were. <laughs> we went on. My husband and I even, um, I reached out after a few weeks later to a law firm to just mm-hmm. see if I had a case because of the neglect that I felt I experienced. And, you know, yeah. it was to no avail, of course. Um, most law firms are not willing to go up against hospitals because this would have been an issue with the right. hospital. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's really hard when you deal with it with, with these types of things because mm-hmm. you know you want to blame someone, you want to blame something, um, and I don't know that you know there could have been a different outcome as far as you know my child living or dying, but um, I just know that yeah, like you said training is so important um trauma-informed training is so important yeah every provider should treat every single person that comes in their path as if this person has experienced trauma because you have no idea you have no idea where they're coming from and yes you know just showing compassion and you know um empathy and yeah. Care and concern. It really doesn't take a whole lot. It just takes a little bit of patience and listening. Yes. And if you're going to make any assumption, because we know so many assumptions are made about us just, you know, off of what we look like. Um, but I think if you're going to make any assumption, just like you said, make the assumption that I'm coming in here to you as a person who has experienced some kind of trauma. Because if you look at me that way, and you are a person who is not a psycho, then you can empathize with me and what I'm, you know, experiencing or what I might be feeling or what I might tell you I've experienced. And then those, you know, those prejudices and all those things that you assume um, take a back seat to you just assuming that I'm someone who has experienced experienced something really bad and I need your help. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Definitely. And so I want to ask, what did, like, what does healing look like? You know, and, you know, after experiencing those first two losses, like, are you, do you seek out therapy? Are you just leaning into your husband and you guys are helping each other? How, how is that going? Or how did that go? Um, man, healing initially, um, kind of just looks like, okay, I'm just going to throw anything against the wall and see what sticks. You know, Mm -hmm. you're just like, you're desperate to find some way to ease the pain. Um, 
so I'm I'm in the middle of uh, listening to Becoming Michelle Obama's um, book, and mm-hmm. she talks about when she lost a friend to cancer and um, how after you have that loss, after you experience that loss, it's like everything. <laughs> No matter what you do, everything hurts. <laughs> you wake up in the morning, yeah. it hurts. You know, um, going to brush your teeth, it hurts. And all you can do is kind of like look around you and you see life as usual. And you're just like, how is nobody like knowing that I'm going through this pain? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you're just, you're desperate. You're desperate to, to make that feeling go away in some, in some way, shape or form, you know? Um, so for me, um, a few things that I, that I did not so much at that point, but I I definitely would immerse myself in, in reading different articles and, um, hearing other people's stories. Um, you know, reading other people's stories was really helpful at that time after that mm-hmm. loss. Um, and the other thing that, you know, this did for me was it really lit a fire under me. And I had done a ton of research on just, you know, some of the things the doctor had said to me and um, claiming that I had an incompetent cervix Um I had like wanted to see everything that was written in my medical records. So I paid mm-hmm. to get every single page <laughs> um, from the ER that was um, documented um, and kind of devoured it and went to different consultations and did a bunch of research on other doctors and, you know, all the different kinds of things that um, could have potentially been wrong. Um Mm-hmm. Or, you know, anything that I could have experienced or could have been experiencing, I kind of just, you know, took a deep dive into it. Um, and then it also like really, really sparked my interest and in support and, you know, knowing that other couples go through this and they go through it and they don't talk about it. Um, because that was definitely one thing that I noticed after going through those losses, it just seemed like after having a loss, um, all of a sudden all these people come out the woodworks and they like start messaging you and, you know, just saying like, yeah, I experienced this too. Um, Mm -hmm. and you wonder why did I never hear anything about this prior to, you know, me having to go through it, you know, it's like all of a sudden you join this like secret society. Right. Um, And it shouldn't be secret. No, it shouldn't be. And and that's the thing. I, mine would have been secret too if I wasn't open about it. And then it was like all of a sudden people who I'd never heard from um, started telling me their stories. Um, so yeah, I was just like, why? Like, we shouldn't be isolated when we're going through these things. Like, there needs to be some kind of support, yes. um, some kind of personal support. Because yeah, family, friends, that's amazing. But they also, um, they also have their own things that they're going through and you don't want to deplete, deplete them of their own energy. So sometimes getting, you know, some other support is helpful, Mm -hmm. um, really helpful and really necessary, um, 
So actually, that's when I started having more interest in dual work and what that meant. Um, and, you know, a lot of times people hear about birth doulas mm-hmm. and postpartum doulas. Um, but I remember reading a story about um, a doula who actually um, worked with clients who were bereaved. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, like that's <laughs> that's what I wish I had had at that time um and that's what I wanted to do mm-hmm. you know I wanted to work with with people who had gone through loss so yeah and I I think I mean it just it makes it makes sense because who you know even though everybody's experience will be different but who better to be able to relate and understand than someone who has experienced it and who has started to process, you know, what they've gone through and started to go through their healing. And so to me, it's, it's beautiful when you can find, um, light in darkness, you know? Um, yeah. Are these like Facebook support groups that you're on? Um, are these, um, actually in-person support groups? Because I want, if they are things that other people can access, I would love to, um, share those on your show notes page so that other people can can seek out those same resources. Yeah, so um, I actually, so I didn't join any support groups after my mm-hmm. second loss. Um, again, I kind of, I, I feel that I kind of um, pushed myself too much okay. and tried to get back to things. Um, again, I think I had only taken like, I think this time I added on a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I took like maybe two weeks off of work. Um, and then kind of went right back into things and had some big presentation, um, literally the week that I got back, which was really not good. Um, and what I did was, you know, I would, I would mostly just look at online forums of other people who had gone through this. Um, and I kind of focused my energy on other people who may have you know, had the same exact, um, you know, physiological issues that I thought I had. Um, so that was how I had kind of worked through that particular loss. But when I lost my son, um, my, my subsequent pregnancy, um, I lost that child at 29 weeks, which, um, was, extremely devastating but um as I said like I had done a lot Mm -hmm. of work and a lot of research and advocating for myself and finding better doctors and ones who you know worked with high-risk pregnancies um but then also just were truly compassionate and progressive Mm -hmm. in the way that they think about care Um, and I felt very much included and very much cared about during that loss. Um, but after that loss, I had just, I had taken on so much. Um, and I finally joined an in-person support group. Um, I was really, really fortunate. Um, the hospital that I delivered in Mount Sinai, um, on the Upper East Side in, in Manhattan, um, there's a really awesome, awesome, awesome social worker who works with um, the maternity, mm-hmm. the L&D department. And 
she actually ran um, a support group within the hospital, but she was also very responsive and super um, reachable. And, you know, she was just really great. So she had set me up with that resource. Um, And then I also had joined a few Facebook groups for support. Um, And then one thing that I did that I really, really loved and I feel like this is something that Mm -hmm. everyone can do. Um, That's a little bit, for me, it was, it was more therapeutic than journaling. Um, But now that we have all this really great technology, um, I used to just make Mm -hmm. video recordings of myself, kind of like a a recorded journal. Um, And sometimes I would send them to, you know, I have a, cousin who's a psychologist who Mm -hmm. is like a sister to me um so sometimes I would actually send them to her (laughs) just as like some way to kind of put it out there in the world um still in like a very intimate uh relationship Mm -hmm. in a very intimate space and I would actually ask her you know not to reply but just to show me that she's Mm -hmm. read it or she's listened to it rather um but yeah, that was really therapeutic for me. Like just being able to, you know, either do videos of myself or record myself and just kind of, you know, do like stream of consciousness thought. Um, because yeah, like certain things will hit you, certain things will trigger you. Um, there's no sequential order to it. Um, you know, and it was kind of just a way for me to like talk out my feelings. Um, that was actually really, really helpful. And I'm glad you had that. I'm, I'm very happy that you had someone that, you know, you could, cause I'm, sh- I'm sure those videos and those thoughts are so deeply personal and sacred. And you had someone that you could trust to honor how sacred they were. Um, again, again, that's priceless yeah. because yeah. You know, I just, I just wish that yeah. all of the women that I hear from had support, um, and a lot of them don't. And so you deciding yeah. to be a doula, um, I want people to keep hearing about doulas and all of the different capacities that people support birthing people, um, you know, through loss, yeah. through adoption, all of the ways. There's so many ways that um, doulas can offer support. You just have to find the one that, you know, matches with your family. But um Definitely. And there, there actually are, um, so still birthdays is a website that, um, families who have experienced loss, whether that was, um, you know, a child loss, Mm -hmm. like an an infant loss or early childhood or pregnancy loss, um, still birthdays is a really great resource. You can actually find a huge listing of bereavement doulas in your area. Um, if you're interested in that, a lot of bereavement doulas actually provide, um, pro bono care, um, usually maybe during the, the actual experience of Mm -hmm. a miscarriage or a stillbirth. Um, and then there's also, um, a really great podcast called Sisters in Loss, um, by Erica McAfee. Yeah, that, that's really great because again, it's just it's just a way to hear stories. If you don't, if you don't necessarily want to tell yours, it's just a way to kind of not feel so alone. Um, just knowing that other people are experiencing this as well. 
Um, meditation is always excellent. Deep breathing mm-hmm. is always excellent. Um, these are easy, super accessible things to do that you don't even have to think about. Um, and then I would say, uh, there was one book that was really, really great for me. Um, it definitely comes from a Christian philosophy, but, um, I think again, it was just really helpful listening to the stories and hearing someone else trying Mm -hmm. to navigate, you know, this, this type of grief. But, um, the book is called Far as the Curse is Found by Abigail Waldron. Um, that was also a really great resource to me. I have noted all of that to share so that, um, so that everybody knows where, you know, at least has a few resources that they can look into, um, after listening to your episode that they can, you know, kind of tap into should they need it or just store it away as a resource because we just never know. Um, you know, there's never any way to um, determine the outcome of any of our, our pregnancies. So, you know, just yeah. you may have never experienced it and you may never, but it can be a resource that you can pass on to someone else. Yeah, definitely. And also for people who are, you know, who are related to um, yeah. you know, friends and family, I think a lot of times, like, you know, like you mentioned, like friends and family sometimes don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. Um, so even just like kind of scouring some of these things as, you know, someone who's related to or close to someone who's experienced the loss, um, you know, that could at least help to give you you know, not that you need to find the language, but, um, it just kind of helps to, to, you know, maybe find a few words, um, start the conversations or to understand about what it looks like to hold space for, you know, for someone who's going through this, um, and learning how to be vulnerable. I mean, I am so big on Brene Brown and, you know, TED talks Mm -hmm. and her books about, vulnerability. Um, I just finished reading Daring Greatly. And I think, you know, culturally, um, in this country, like we're so, we look at vulnerability as being a weakness and, you Mm -hmm. know, it's something that like, we just can't, we can't go there. You know what I mean? We have like so much masculine energy where it's all about being productive and positive and, you know, optimistic and moving on instead of being able to just sit in the discomfort. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, some of these resources can help, you know, the, the support system around the person that has had the loss and, you know, help them to understand how to be. Right. Very, yeah, very good point. And so, um, you, you kind of touched on your third pregnancy, um, or your third loss and what that experience was like, um, briefly, but then you go on, um, and you get, you know, you, you get some more healing and then you go on to get pregnant for a fourth time. What is that experience like? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, man, um, so yeah, I took some time after um losing my son. Um his, we named him Ellison. We lost Ellison at 29 weeks and I took probably about a almost a year um to really just 
feel sad mm-hmm. and grieve and feel all the things angry like you know it, it rocked my faith um it just made me question so many things um but you know as i had worked through that i knew that i still wanted to be a mother mm-hmm. and to a living child because <laughs> i was a mother the minute that you know i found out that i was pregnant the first time 100% um, but you know i really wanted to try this again um so my husband and i you know we talked about it a lot you know he was petrified yeah <laughs> um but we ended up getting pregnant again and um when i found out when i used that dollar store test again <laughs> um i got weak in the knees because it just went through my head like as as happy as that moment was as exciting as it was yeah. um it was like all the fear and all the terror just like vibrated through my body um so you know i was very vigilant of course, I had gone back to the same doctors that I felt, you know, I trusted mm-hmm. and, you know, really cared and respected me. Um, and, you know, I just, <laughs> I just kind of went through the pregnancy. Um, everything was beautiful. It was perfectly healthy, um, uneventful pregnancy. Um, so no morning sickness? Oh, I had morning sickness. Okay. <laughs> now I'm just not that that doesn't make it beautiful, but I was just curious yeah. if it continued, if the cycle of morning sickness was like I'm still here. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know what? That's the thing when you go through when you're when you're pregnant after having a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like all of the all of the innocence of pregnancy are now they no longer exist Mm -hmm. so you hold on to any little thing you can to um just remember that like okay I'm still pregnant like this baby is still growing inside of me so morning sickness as horrible as it was it was something that I look forward to yes makes sense Yes, because it was it was my body's way of telling me like yes you were you were growing this child um so yes, I had the morning sickness and, um, it was, <laughs> I felt like it lasted even longer with, um, with this pregnancy. Like it had, it had gone well into, um, at least halfway through my second trimester. Um, so yeah, but I had gone through the pregnancy. I had gotten, you know, all the testing in the world done, um, to see if there were any, any complications or any problems. And, I didn't have any. Um, And for the most part, I tried to tell myself every day that every day that I woke up and, you know, when I finally did start feeling movement, every day that I felt her move, Mm -hmm. um, I just tried to hold on to that, that little bit of happiness and that hope. Um, And I also you know, it was coaching. I was constantly, I was dueling myself yeah. uh, through that process because, you know, I was like, I did not go through all of that pain to be miserable for 10 months. Right. 
So, um, yeah, I had to just kind of keep myself in check and, you know, and be kind to myself and again, feel sad when I felt really sad. Um, because, you know, grieving the loss of, of, you know, the the kids that I did lose, it's ongoing. So I would have, I was really excited about my daughter and then I would have moments where, you know, I'm just sad that I've lost, you know, my sons. So, so yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause they are your, are your daughter's siblings, you know, and exactly. And exactly. ideally they would, you know, be together. And so that makes perfect sense that you get to, again, there's like light and, light and dark can exist at the same time. Um, Absolutely. There is that duality that, you know, you just have to acknowledge, like it can feel like rain while the sun is shining. Um, yeah. At the same time. Yeah. And I think um, that's actually something through this that I I almost feel like makes me um more in tune with how powerful we are Mm -hmm. um that you know multiple feelings can exist at once yes and you know it it almost to me it makes me feel even more alive um and just more connected to the earth and and you know the divinity and spirituality of all of it you know um I feel like life doesn't exist without death and life is more precious because of death so you know yes it's hard um and it's painful when you lose someone or something um but yeah there's there's real beauty in that there is real beauty yeah. And so did you find yourself documenting this pregnancy? Um, like, were you taking more pictures or did you, you know, anytime your belly moved, did you record the, the little bumps and the little alien feet and all of that? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did. Um, and that was actually something that I did with, with all the pregnancies. Okay. I just made sure pictures and record and I still have plenty of um, pictures and recordings of the alien belly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I did quite a bit, but one thing that I did not do is I tried not to really plan a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of just wanted to take it week by week, um, to the point where I don't think we even, we didn't even set up a crib or like a real room for my daughter until, um, she was probably about like seven or eight months old. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it just, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Um, I just needed to live completely in the present. And that's really what got me through that pregnancy is just, you know, taking it day by day. Um, I had gotten to, I remember I got to 26 weeks and up until that point, I think I have, I was, you know, doing pretty good emotionally. Um, but that week, for some reason, I think because I was nearing the 29th week, mm-hmm. um, I just felt so anxious and so scared. And I remember going into my, um, the practice that I was seeing, the doctor's practice, and they were just like, listen, like, you know, we can, whenever you feel this way, like, just come in, don't even, 
You don't need to call and make an appointment. Like, just show up. <laughs> like, we understand. Um, and they're like, as many times as you just want to hear hear her heartbeat, as many times as you just want to, like, see her on ultrasound, you know, just show up. And, you know, as we're getting closer to your due date, um, you know, we know that this is a, it's a very scary time for you. So by the time you're 37 weeks, we can have the real conversation about induction if you want to induce, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in a perfect world, um, of course, I'm, I'm all about the least amount of intervention, but I think there also is something to be said um, for, you know, your mental health. 100%, and, yes. <laughs> and I was like, yes, uh, <laughs> if she is healthy, if, if all signs are pointing to the fact that she is, you know, looks like she's a great weight and, you know, she's active and all that, um, you know, I'll try to push it to 39 weeks, but at 39 weeks, if she doesn't come on her own, <laughs> yes, we're getting her out. <laughs> we're coming to get you, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And that, and it makes perfect sense. It does. Like you can't, you can't have any, um, judgment of that, you know, like there can be no judgment of that because that is your own personal experience and you experienced so much before you actually got to meet her and to hold her. And so I totally understand that. And so can I ask if, if you had, at what point did you decide to like share with your friends and your family that you were expecting your baby girl? Oh, wow. Um, really early on, actually. Okay. I had just gotten to the point where there is no such thing as a safe time in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So I know who my family and friends are. You know, I know the people that no matter what is going on in my life, they're going to be there. They're going to be supporting me. Um, so I'd actually rather them know sooner than later because I need them to be here with me. Right. You know, I need them, um, to be lifting me up through this journey because it's going to be a hard one. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So pretty much immediately, I would say, um, once I heard a heartbeat, I think I was telling, I definitely was telling, told my parents very, very early on and, and, you know, my best friends probably shortly thereafter. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you get yeah. through, you get through, um, we're up to what I think you said, like 20 something weeks now. And then you're like, if I can get to 39, we're good. And so, yeah. at, you know, <laughs> how many weeks do you get to? And, or just, just tell us about her actual birth story. Oh my gosh. So that was a glorious day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so got to 39 weeks um at at about 37 and a half weeks is when I scheduled the induction Mm -hmm. um the midnight of me turning 39 weeks is when it was scheduled so it was just so nice I mean again I would love the idea in a perfect world of just going into labor naturally and you know um doing it the way that, you know, most people probably envision. Um, but 
there was something so satisfying about having that control when I've had so many prior experiences of being completely out of control. Yes. Um, so yeah, like I scheduled the induction. Um, it was nice. We got to, you know, kind of prepare, yeah. <laughs> prepare in a way for just like, you know, showing up to the hospital. Um, and you know, I've, I wanted to try to um, be induced, but then not get an epidural. So I wanted to see how far I could go. I know that, you know, especially as a doula now um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, all the research that I had done prior to getting pregnant that fourth time, um, just about what interventions can do, what medical interventions can do to your labor. Um, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to go the least... (laughs) amount of interventions Mm -hmm. um try to go that route so I was like let me try to push that epidural out um even though you know my oxytocin may not be flowing the way that you know I I wish it was um let me see if I can get through this induction without getting an epidural so um I had gotten pretty far I was you know I was there and I think I had gotten to like eight centimeters Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they had started Pitocin and and my labor had gone fairly quickly. I'm sorry if I'm sounding all over the place. No, no, you're um, fine. My labor had actually gone fairly quickly. I showed up at the hospital. I showed up to the hospital at midnight. Um, I didn't actually get Pitocin. They they didn't start the Pitocin until I would say maybe about two or 3 a.m. Okay. Um, you should so, like, let's get it. Yeah, but but you know what? That's another thing that I also have to commend the practice um, that I've chosen. They also know that when you, if you're scheduled to be induced or any time that you arrive at the hospital, the middle of the night is usually the best time because that's mm-hmm. when they're at the lightest amount of staff. So it kind of gives you a lot of time to play with. You're not as ru- you're not rushed in that situation. Um, so that was nice because, you know, as you, as, as I'm sure, you know, you are, I mean, you talked about watching the business of being born and Mm -hmm. how there's kind of like, you know, you're on a clock when you get to the hospital. Um, when you show up in the middle of the night, usually you're not on as that, that time isn't, um, ticking as quickly. So so it was kind of great because they took their time giving me the Pitocin so I could get a little comfortable in the room. Um, you know, I got to have a room with the bathroom and had a shower. Um, you know, so I had, I had a little bit of time to kind of get, you know, a little comfortable. Um, once I started the Pitocin, I'd gone, like I said, for quite some time, um, without really feeling like I can't, I can't handle this anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So um, let's see. Um, Is, can I ask, is, is your husband, is he in the doula role at this point? Like, is he doing any, you know, of the, any methods that are calming or soothing? (laughs) My husband, (laughs) no, he was, he was, Believe it or not, he really was no help. He was no help. I think, I think he 
was actually still really anxious. struggling okay. and anxious. And the the oddest thing is he just couldn't stay awake. Um, okay. I really think that he was completely overwhelmed by getting to this point. And mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we have been down the road of pregnancy so many times before and this was never the the result you know what I mean he was always kind of you know in the room with me waiting for me to deliver a baby that wasn't alive so um so yeah I think that he was just in a state of of shock and uh you know, just didn't even, couldn't even fully understand how to be present at that time. Um, but what was really amazing was my mother was there. <laughs> okay, lovely. Um, so she was in the role of doula. <laughs> mm-hmm. Come on, um, mama. <laughs> yes. And she was amazing. I mean, she definitely, you know, she obviously was not formally trained as a doula, but... Right. Um, you know, she just knew the times when to touch my leg and, you know, or massage my feet or, you know, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. it was, um, just to make me feel her warmth. And, you know, that was really great. And I think that's probably how I made it to transition. Um, and then I just was kind of like, you know, it, it, I was getting those contractions or the surges I was having surges back to back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had no idea, of course, what this would be like um, not having an epidural because, you know, in, in my two prior pregnancies, I did get pain medication, of course, um, to have those deliveries. So yeah. with this one, um, you know, again, it was kind of like, I wanted to experience this in a different way. So not getting the epidural was almost like a way for me to, to make this different, mm-hmm. to make this experience different because I was giving birth to a live baby, you know? Um, but I kept fighting it. And one of my doctors came in and, um, she saw that I was suffering. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't, I wasn't handling these contractions very well at this point. Um, And I also hadn't slept at all because I was so anxious about this whole process and checking the monitors every two seconds to make sure that there were no issues with her, with my um, daughter's heart rate. And, you know, she just knew that I had, I was stressing myself out. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she just took the time using so much energy <laughs> and she kind of just took the time with me and was like, you know, Maurice, um, I know that you really did not want to get an epidural. But she was like, can you just tell me, can you just talk to me about why, why do you feel like you really don't want to have the epidural? Mm-hmm. And it was almost like something just clicked for me in that moment. Like, yeah, why, why, do, why do I feel like I've really, need to not get the epidural, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, obviously I know, um, the risks I've assessed the risks. Um, but I also know there's a lot of evidence <laughs> around the benefits, especially at this stage in my labor, 
Mm-hmm. I was I was at eight centimeters. There was nothing slowing my labor down. <laughs> yeah, you're progressing. <laughs> I'm at eight centimeters and I'm having contraction after contraction. I mean, no break, no break between them. So um, I just told her like, you know, I want to feel my baby coming out. I want to feel her come through my body. Mm-hmm. I don't want to feel, I don't want to be numb. And she was just like, I fully understand you. She really reassured me. Um, she understood why I felt that way and, you know, how that was a trigger from my previous experiences. And, you know, she's just like, listen, like every, every, every epidural does not need to make you numb. Um, you know, she's like, we can just give you something to take the edge off of the pain and you can rest a little bit and, you know, it, it will probably be a very short time before she's here. Um, and yeah, sure enough, I felt like, firstly, that is truly informed choice, <laughs> informed consent. Um, she talked with me about it. Um, she allowed me the space to think um, as much as I could in the midst of contraction. <laughs> um, and it kind of just allowed, I felt like I allowed, I gave myself the permission to say like, this is okay. You know, I don't need to um, like wear this badge of saying that, you know, I did this without, without pain medication because it wasn't about that. You know what I mean? It was, it was really just about, you know, me feeling like this experience was different from the others and that I could feel my baby when she comes out and, you know, that I can control my pushing and, you know, um, all the things, just all the things that I needed to heal in that process. I love that you are that you you got to ex- and you you experienced it before but I'm glad that you finally got to experience um like you said informed decision making or like shared decision make decision making she she gave you you know alternatives to being numb completely and that still that still allowed you to be able right. to fully feel present and and like you were a part of you know bringing your child into the world yeah definitely Definitely. And it's funny, too, um, that you say that because I have a friend, again, very, very, very close friend. She had two um, unmedicated uh, births. And when I was telling her this story about labor and, you know, when I decided to get the epidural, um, (laughs) it was funny because she was just like, wait, (laughs) wait, so you can get an epidural when you're like that far into labor and wait, and you weren't numb. And I was like, no, I wasn't. Numb. She was like, so I many of us don't. I, <laughs> I know that before I became a doula, I thought you get that epidural and you feel absolutely nothing. Like there, there is no take the edge off. It's just right. numbness. That is what I thought. And so, yeah, that's the misconception that yep. so many of us have. If you, yeah. Yeah, if you're never, if, if it's never shared with you yeah. or you never do the research on your own, yeah, you're just left with the stories that you hear. And like, I didn't feel anything. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And so you get that, you get a little, a little bit of time to rest and then you get some energy back up. And then how does that go? 
Oh my gosh, it, I felt like I slept for maybe 20 minutes and then I felt the huge, uh, you know, sensation to, to poop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it felt like. <laughs> and I was like, oh, like, uh, mommy. <laughs> I'm like, mommy. Um, oh yeah, I feel like I need to push. Um, I definitely feel like I need to push. So, um, I had one of the, there was a resident, I think that was close by. And I was like, mommy, can you get the, you know, can you get the resident so she can check to see um, if it's time. And sure enough, you know, the resident comes in and she's just like, oh yeah, it's definitely time. Like, let me go and get the doctor. Um, And yeah, it was like, I think from the time that I got an epidural to the time that um, I pushed Memphis out, I don't think it was more than an hour I think maybe an hour later she was born. Yeah. 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 And and so what does that what is that feeling or like what is the emotion in the room? Like how's that how's that translating to everyone? Oh my gosh, it was for me it was just it was almost like an outer body experience. Um mm-hmm. it was just so surreal that I had finally gotten to this moment. And she came out screaming, like (laughs) there was no pause. There was no, you know, like she came out yelling. Um, I'm here. Yes. (laughs) She's like, I have arrived. I am making my presence known. Um, And it was so joyful in that room. And it was funny because the doctors, so there were two um, from the practice that were there that day um, and they were kind of making a joke um, saying like, yeah, you know, we were both like competing on who could get down here and like deliver the baby (laughs) because the practice was just like, you are like the talk of the practice. Um, And that just made me feel really loved and really truly supported by this group of doctors. Um, yeah. And yeah, like my mom was just, because, you know, every loss that I had experienced was a loss. It was her loss too. And, yeah, you know, it wasn't just my husband and I, it was her, like she, I'm her only daughter and, um, she has waited her whole life for these moments. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this was just like, this was heaven for her. This was heaven. Um, so yeah, it was amazing. Like super joyful. Um, and like I said, really, really just surreal for me. I can only imagine cause I'm feeling the feels right now. Yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> listening to you share that. And I can only imagine what that felt like personally. Yeah. Um, and so she was, she was, well, she, you know, passed all like her APGAR test and all that. Yes. Oh yes. Perfectly, perfectly healthy kid. Um, just perfect in every way. Seven and a half pounds. Um, she was long. I think she was about 20, 21 or 22 inches. Ooh, yes, she is. Yeah. Um, (laughs) she was great. She was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine anything more beautiful and, just more special. Um, yeah. I mean, everything was fine. My recovery was, was really good. Um, I mean, like I said, like I was after 
you know, she came out, I was probably up walking within 30 minutes. <laughs> Just didn't yeah, know how so- to sit still. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm good now. She's here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so lovely. And so you, um, you know, you get to, to go home and all of that and postpartum is good for you. Yeah. Postpartum was really good. Um, I was actually, I definitely had prepared myself mentally for postpartum, um, because Mm -hmm. I know that that is something that, you know, that's a period that a lot of people don't pay enough attention to. Again, it's, you know, that silent time, um, I feel like our society just does not give any space for. Um, And I, you know, like I said, I had friends who had given birth and had gone through postpartum and I kind of just like really leaned into their stories um, prior to giving birth and, you know, just knowing like how difficult, um, you know, attempting to breastfeed could be, um, And that entire transition, just the transformation from, you know, having a child, growing a child in your belly to now be out here existing in on earth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I just definitely did not underestimate, you know, just the complexities of that as well as, you know, all the hormonal changes. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there was a lot. So I made sure that I set up support for myself. Um, you know, and my husband, that was a really hard transition for him as well. Um, you know, I think again, he was still kind of trying to process now us having this living child. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, just having like family really close by, um, checking on us constantly, you know, making meals for us, um, kind of staggering support. I had my mom here for a couple weeks Um, his mom, um, my husband's mom came a little later. Um, but yeah, just kind of like always having something. I had friends who would drop off food. Um, yeah, like I made sure I had, um, close contact with a lactation consultant. Um, yeah, like I really just did not play games with that time. Yeah, you it sounds like you did not. You yeah. were like, I know I know all of the things that are gonna help make this an easier transition. Yeah. And um yeah, again you can never really you can never, you know, say like what the experience is gonna be like, but you can set yourself up to try to make it as good of an experience as possible. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And people should. I mean, it's so hard because um it's hard to it's really difficult to imagine until you're in that phase and then you kind of look Mm -hmm. back like, well, why didn't anyone tell me about this? But sometimes it's hard to even, even if someone's telling you um, about what that period could be like, it's just hard to understand until you're actually in it. (laughs) It's so true. That's so true. It's a very good point because someone who says that might have a child that never cries, you know, or they cry so infrequently or a child who sleeps through the night at three weeks. And if your child doesn't sleep through the night until they're 10 months old, then you can't relate to that, that same experience. Exactly. Exactly. So your postpartum looks a lot different. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Birth is super unique. I mean, Mm -hmm. everything. I mean, it's just like 
all of our experiences in life. You know what I mean? We could, we could encounter something that is exactly the same, but we process it totally different. Um, yes. So in these situations where they literally are very different, um, physically and emotionally, it's just, it's really hard to wrap your mind around it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to share something that I read um, from Psychology Today, mm-hmm. and it's about it's about resilience. And it said, resilience is a psychological quality that allows some people to be knocked down by the adversities of life and come back at least as strong as before. Rather than letting difficulties, traumatic events, or failure overcome them and drain their resolve, highly resilient people find a way to change course emotionally heal and continue moving toward their goals Mm. so it's a two-part question that I have for you do you connect with that word and that definition and if so like how do you feel like it's a part of how and why you became a doula Mm. boy yes um resilience is part of my regular doula vocabulary now (laughs) um I truly connect with that I I think that um as, as birth givers, as, um, parents, as, um, people who are oppressed, um, Mm -hmm. resilience is built in us. Um, yes. And yes, that is, that really is a huge part of what I hope to help people, um, tap into, mm-hmm. um, in my work as a doula is that they are powerful and they are resilient. And at moments when they're experiencing what our society might acknowledge as weakness, um, those are actually the times that they are the most resilient. Mm -hmm. You need to experience, um, you need to experience times when, when, you know, you're struggling. Um, because I don't know, I feel like it, you're tapping into something that's more primal. Um, and Mm -hmm. acknowledging that to me is what the true strength in you is. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's awesome. And I think there's actually, There was actually something that I had, um, I think it was like a, like a little video clip of, of some article, um, some study that was done about resilience and how you can actually look at like a scan, a brain scan of someone and see, um, someone who is like maybe experienced, um, different traumatic events throughout their life and, Mm -hmm when they come back from that, um, you can actually see somehow, I mean, I'm not explaining this very well, but, um, you can see on a brain scan how their brains have somehow built up this type of armor, which is unbelievable (laughs) to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's our bodies. Our, Our bodies are amazing. And yeah, that, that word like stuck out to me because, um, you know, having known just a little bit about your story, I was like, man, she, to, you know, have experienced everything you've experienced and then want to 
be able to use your experiences to help others. Yeah. Is resilient. You know, it says, (laughs) it says you find a way to change course, emotionally heal and continue moving towards your goals. And so you, my sister are resilient in my eyes. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to ask you, are there, um, you know, any words or thoughts that you would offer to anyone who may be enduring, you know, the loss of a child or children um, from miscarriage? Hmm. Um, yeah, there are so many things that I could say. Um, but ultimately, those words, <laughs> the words that people say don't usually do a whole lot. They're very short lived. Um, Mm -hmm. but what I would say is just be super kind to yourself. Super kind. There is no right way or wrong way to grieve. Um, it is all just very, very personal and just take your time, take Mm -hmm. it one moment at a time. For sure. That I think that makes perfect sense. And can you um just tell us a little bit about how Memphis is doing these days and like what she's up to? <laughs> well, the little Memphis is um up to running around the house, um, or speed walking, I should say. <laughs> um, she's fifteen months now and uh she loves to try to go into the cabinets and pull out the uh, flower. <laughs> um, she loves dancing in front of the mirror, which is the cutest, funniest thing in the world. I bet. Um, and even though she is not saying actual words that I can understand yet, she loves to talk. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. Um <laughs> Yeah, so she's doing wonderful, really, really wonderful. (laughs) I'm so happy to hear that. And so as we near the end of your episode, um, I want to ask you, who would you like to dedicate your episode to? I am going to dedicate this episode to my dear, dear angel babies that I've lost, um, Carter, Stokely, and Ellison. And of course, my living, lovely <laughs> little Memphis. So beautiful and so rightfully, uh, rightfully so, because they they just change our lives in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, motherhood is so transformative, and I just don't know where I would be. Yeah, <laughs> like it's hard. It's hard now to imagine life without them. Yeah, um, and so. Yeah, the the little ones that have touched your heart and, and all of that, we honor them and we want to um, make sure that they aren't forgotten. And so this episode is dedicated to them. I'm glad you did that. Yes, thank um, you. And thank you so much for um, for having this platform and using it to share these stories. Um, I really do think this is a way for us to document history and understanding and, you know, to just bring awareness to the shortcomings that we have as a society. Um, and, um, you know, just building community with each other through these stories. 
Yeah. And I like to say it's our story, you yeah. know, like we're, sh- we're sharing our story. Like we, we tend to say, um, you know, history, which if you break it up, it's, you know, uh, I had an elder say like, that's his story. Right. And so we want to make sure that we are telling our stories, um, for, for future generations of us mm-hmm. just to document and make sure that our narrative is one that actually centers our voices and isn't, you know, what other people are saying about us and our lived experiences. And so thank you. I, I received that, um, that thanks. But I also want to say thank you for, um, again, for sharing and for being open to um, to doing this, because I do believe that you are going to help um, other women and other sisters who may have already experienced it or who may experience it, experience it in the future. Mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, that sharing is just, you know, again, it's priceless because you never know how many people you're going to help. Yeah. And so forever grateful for for you and for sharing and um for connecting for you know reaching out and all of that i'm so grateful thank you thank Kaya. this is amazing this is really great thank you for listening to the tribe of sons podcast be sure to visit our website tribeofsons.com where you'll find our show notes and the resources shared in today's episode Follow us on Instagram and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Share with your folks. Peace.